continuing this morning with the teaching on the foundation principles and we're looking at the series of the doctrine of baptisms which is the third out of the six foundational doctrines as taught to us in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 and we've touched on certain aspects of the doctrine of baptisms we had a look at the fact that there are in fact three distinct baptisms taught to the body of Christ and we saw that this, the doctrine is called the doctrine of baptisms plural it is not the doctrine, doctrine of baptism singular. And there are three distinct baptisms taught to the body of Christ. And the first is the baptism into Christ. And that particular baptism takes place when each one of us are born again. And we're baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit himself. God the Father uh, translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of his love, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we're immersed fully immersed into the body of Christ at that instant. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and takes up, takes up residence in our spirits. Um, and it is because we are born again and our spirits are born of God that the Holy Spirit can take up residence in our spirits. For the Old Testament saints could never have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. Inside of them. He would come upon them. Uh, as they were anointed by God to fulfill whatever role God had called them to fulfill um, in their lives. But he couldn't dwell within the spirit of man because the spirit of man was spiritually dead. Recall when uh, Adam committed sin, well, before he did, the Lord said to him, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you shall surely die. And uh, they ate of the tree and they died that day. And so that the death that took place was that their spiritual death took place. Their spirits died, and they were separated from God. Uh, they only died physically many, many hundreds of years later. But uh, on that day that they partook of the fruit of uh, that uh, tree, their spirits died. And so that is what happens to all mankind. Um, when they come into the earth, they, they're born spiritually alive to God. But when they reach the age of accountability, uh, sin revives and they die. And so each, each person on the earth is spiritually dead and is thus separated from God. And the Holy Spirit cannot dwell within uh, that which is death. And so that is why under the Old Covenant the saints couldn't be born again and the Holy Spirit could not dwell within them. But under the New Covenant, uh, the very first thing that takes place is that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And so he lives inside of us in our spirits and uh, we are immersed, fully immersed into Christ. He, he baptizes us into Christ and he comes and takes up residence inside our spirits. And we saw the implications of being baptized into Christ in that there is a transformation then that takes place in our lives in that God has called each one of us to be conformed into the image of his son. He's predestined each one of us to be conformed into the image of his son and the Holy Spirit within us is the one who transforms us from glory to glory even into the image of his glory as we behold his glory in a mirror uh, he's able to do that and the mirror is the mirror of God's word and so when you look into a mirror you're looking at a reflection of yourself and so what God is really telling us is that inside of us is Christ uh, for we have been baptized into Christ and we've been fully immersed into Christ we've put Christ on and Paul said it this way, he said, It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so we are um, part of the, 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 the Christian doctrine. Um, 
is really the fact that we are called Christians. And we had a look at the fact that uh, in the early church, the church at Antioch, they were first called Christians in the church at Antioch. And it was as a result of Paul, the apostle, teaching the church this truth um, in the gospel about the fact that it is no longer we who live, but in fact it is Christ who lives in us. And that is really um, what being baptized into Christ is all about. We're not going to go through that in any other depth. Then we had a look at the fact that there is another baptism taught to the body of Christ, and that is water baptism. And again, it is also to be fully immersed into water. And we've had a look at uh, three different accounts in Scripture given to us in the book of Acts of water baptism taking place. And we saw the fact that the church, the the early church, we're we're the same church. It's just they lived back then, we're living now. But what God put in place then is still applicable for the church today. He hasn't changed. The church has not changed. We are still the same body of Christ. We serve the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit that dwelt in Peter and Paul dwells in each one of us. And so that which the early church practiced, and we use the term early church just as a reference point, but that which the early church practiced, um, which is water baptism, is what the church today should be practicing as well. And we saw the fact that the early church baptized in water as soon as possible after one was saved. Um, And we had a look at the accounts in Scripture that showed us that truth. Um, And the fact is that everybody was baptized in water. There was no... um, saints that they were ignored from this point of view. It was required of everybody to be baptized in water. Um, And then we had a look at the fact that there is another baptism called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we saw our Lord Jesus give us some teaching along that line when he was um, speaking to the disciples uh, before he uh, was raised, went into heaven. Uh, After his resurrection from the dead, he appeared to the disciples for over a period of 40 days and he gave them much insight into the things of the kingdom of God, and he taught them many things. And one of the things that he taught them was that they were to wait in Jerusalem because there was coming a time when the the promise of the Father would be poured out on them, and they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as our Lord referred to it. Um, And so there is a distinction between receiving the Holy Spirit when we're baptized into Christ, for each believer has the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of them once they've been baptized into Christ and born again. However, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a fuller dimension of the Holy Spirit. It's it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So somebody who's been baptized into Christ, although they have been fully immersed into Christ, they have not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is another baptism that we saw in Scripture, which we're not touching on today. We're not looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we're continuing with the the series on water baptism. We started, we had a look at uh, water baptism Uh, in the previous teaching, and we're wanting to continue with that particular uh, teaching today, water baptism. And so we also saw that water baptism has nothing to do with our salvation, that we're not saved through water baptism. We've had a look at the erroneous teachings that have come into the church regarding water baptism, and one of the erroneous teachings that has come into the church is the sprinkling of babies. Um, that is a tradition of man that is not the Bible at all. And it, is, uh, it supplants the, the Word of God. And Jesus has very much uh, to say about that. He, he, he doesn't take kindly to mankind bringing their traditions over and above the Word of God. And he tackled the Pharisees when he was on the earth uh, regarding that particular thing. And so the Lord does not take kindly to his church um, 
ignoring his instruction given to us in his word and coming up with their own tradition. And sprinkling of babies is a tradition of man. It is not something that God has put in place at all. Um, uh, do it if you want to, but it means nothing. It, it, there is absolutely no spiritual value to what that hap- that 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 uh, particular act. Um, and it certainly is contrary to God if you are saying, "Well, we'll do that instead of baptizing in water." because now you're going against God completely. And you now, um, as Jesus said, for the traditions of men, you have now uh, ignored the commandment of God, and that, that you're on uh, dangerous territory when you go down that road. Um, and so we don't allow tradition of men to, to supplant the Word of God. We acknowledge what God says to do, and we are obedient to do what the Lord tells us to do. We used to be called sons of disobedience. The whole world, uh, they are called sons of disobedience. Since we've come into the kingdom of God, we are now sons of obedience. And so whatever our Lord tells us to do, that is what we do. We obey Him. Our Lord said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? And so it is required of us as uh, sons of God to be obedient to our Lord and Savior. And whatever He tells us to do, that's what we do. We don't argue about the fact. We don't uh, debate it. He tells us to be baptized in water, and so that is something that we do. We we are baptized in water. But we saw it has nothing to do with salvation because there's also those who would teach, just as those who would teach that sprinkling the babies is is water baptism, uh, which it's not because we saw that water baptism is to be fully immersed into water. And you can only be baptized in water after salvation. We had a look at all of the scriptures along those lines and the accounts in the, in the book of Acts. And uh, the requirement in order to be baptized in water is that you have to be born again. And one can only be born again once they've given their heart to Jesus Christ as, a, as their Lord and Savior. And that can only happen to one who is mature enough to understand the decision that they're taking. And so, yes, all right, I think I've kind of covered that enough. Then there's the other side of the coin where people then say, okay, unless you are baptized in water, you can't be saved. Because Jesus said that um, those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. So they take that particular verse of Scripture and they say, well, that's it. That's it. If you do not get baptized in water, then you can't be saved. Believing the, the gospel is not enough. And yet that is not, that is again taking scripture out of context and taking it to the extreme. For there are, um, the scripture is very plain that in order to be saved, we need to believe in our hearts God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead and confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and we shall be saved. And Romans chapter 10 teaches us very clearly. And we spoke about the incident where our Lord was on the cross and the criminal was hanging next to him and he believed in the Lord and the Lord said, this day you will be with me in paradise. No water baptism took place. He was with the Lord in paradise on that day when he, when he died on the cross. And so water baptism is very important, but it does not um, impact on our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, nothing else. And we said it's very dangerous, in fact, extremely dangerous for anybody to try and tag on anything to salvation. In other words, you have to do, you can believe in Jesus, that's good and well, but they also have to do this step. And unless you do this step, you cannot be saved. There's even a, a bit of a teaching that goes out nowadays about the fact that there should be full repentance. So believing on Jesus, and, but unless you really repented or have repented, uh, that you're not saved. And that's also, that's contrary to the Bible. That's taking 
repentance completely to the extreme. All right, I don't want to go down that line today. However, the point is very clear, and again, it happened in Paul's day, in, in the early church's time, that there were those who went around trying to convince the Gentiles. Yes, you can believe in Jesus <clears throat> as your Lord and Savior, that's fine, but you also have to be um, circumcised, and you have to observe the law of Moses. And so they try to tag on something else. Uh, it wasn't good enough to just believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that is false doctrine. And the church exposed that false doctrine and they did away with it very quickly. Um, the false doctrine of the fact that you have to be baptized in water in order to be saved hadn't emerged at that time because it wasn't something that was really uh, brought about. But there is, uh, there are uh, groups out there that try and teach that particular doctrine in the church today, which is wrong. It is false completely. Um, Okay, so we've had a look at certain aspects of water baptism. Um, I just want to reinforce the fact that it is, an, it is a commandment given to us by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that is, again, why I want to just reemphasize that we are sons of obedience. God tells us to obey, and so we obey. We do not uh, debate what the head of the church says. If he says do something, then we do it. And we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us why, and we're going to have a look at the reason. Today we want to look at the reason why we do baptism in water. Uh, what is it? If it doesn't impact on my salvation, because that's where a lot of Christians uh, view, come, uh, argue about it. They say, but it doesn't impact on my salvation. I'm saved whether I'm water, baptized in water or not. So why is it so vital for me to be baptized in water? What, what is the... the and you, because the teaching has gone out there, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but anyway, the teaching that has gone out there is that the water baptism is symbolic of what has already transpired inside of us, in our hearts. Um, and there is an element of truth to that, and that is correct. But that is not the only th uh, thing that it is, because that's what people then argue. Well, you know, it's only symbolic. It means nothing, because I've already been born again. So to be baptized in water doesn't change my salvation. And that's correct. It does not change your salvation at all. Um, but there's more to water baptism than just purely the symbolic side of it. And that's what we're going to have a look at today. But the, the scripture I wanted to just start off with this morning is in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Again, just to emphasize the fact, we've had a look at Mark 16, where our Lord did say, uh, those who believe and are baptized shall be saved. So baptism is part of uh, the Christian walk. It is required of the Lord that we should be baptizing uh, believers in Christ. And we, again, it should happen as soon as possible after salvation takes place. And we'll, we, because we're going to look at the, the reasons behind water baptism today, you'll have a clear understanding as to why the church was so adamant that water baptism takes place in, almost immediately. You, you, you give your heart to the Lord, and in the water you go, and you're baptized in water. Um, so why was the church so adamant that that is a step that should be taken as soon as possible afterwards? It's not a practice in the church today. You don't have major revivals taking place and people giving their hearts to the Lord and then having baptism straight away. It doesn't happen. Um, it, it's a case of give your heart to the Lord and then you know, go and join a church and hopefully that particular church 
practices water baptism and if it does there'll be a time maybe a month two months from now where they'll have a, a, a time set aside to do water baptism and you can join that particular class and get baptized in water and so there's a huge delay sometimes for people to be baptized in water from the time they come into the kingdom of god until they are physically baptized in water and then as we we know that there's in many christians lives in fact water baptism I don't want to estimate, but it is certainly a lot of Christians who have never been baptized in water, born again, uh, who are saved and going to heaven and have gone to heaven and were never baptized in water. Um, and so why this delay? Because the church doesn't follow after the New Testament pattern as given to us by uh, the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles um, who have given us the scriptures. Um, and so we should get back to the New Testament. And so when people do get saved, you know, even the altar calls in churches, they should have their baptism tank because a lot of churches do have a tank with, uh, for baptism. And when you get saved, we're going to uh, baptize you straight away because that is the New Testament pattern. And as I say, we'll, we'll have a look at the spiritual aspects of water baptism to have an understanding as to why it is so important to actually baptize somebody as soon as possible after salvation. But I haven't even read the scripture that I wanted to, so let's just get back there, which is Matthew 28, verse 19. Scripture says, Go therefore, this is our Lord Jesus speaking, and this is his instruction to the church. This is his instruction to you and to me, and we should be obedient to him. Um, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we get around the, and so there's the instruction very clear. We should be, we should be making disciples of all nations, going out there, preaching the gospel, uh, getting people saved. Remember Paul said God, uh, the Lord didn't send him to baptize. The Lord sent him to preach the gospel because he, there was some kind of a division that was rising up in the Corinthian church. Um, but Paul was not belittling baptism. He was not saying, well, it's not important. He was just saying that his mandate was to preach the gospel. But Paul also made sure that whoever got saved was then baptized in water as soon as possible. He just said, I didn't do the baptism. He said, you know, there was a, a few people in Corinth that I baptized. But he, he just said, you know, that wasn't really what God had called him to do specifically. He was there to preach the gospel, but he had a whole ministry team that worked with him. And they would then get involved with baptizing the new converts and bringing them into the kingdom from, well, not bringing them in, they were in the kingdom, but baptizing them in water. And so also the other thing that comes out of this particular scripture is that then there's a whole debate around, okay, well, Jesus said here we need to baptize uh, Christians, newborn believers, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And then when you read all the other accounts, well, there are many accounts in the book of Acts, it talks about being baptized in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so now the debate comes up. How were you baptized? Were you baptized in the name of the Lord or were you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And so you, you get all of this kind of dis, uh, dis debate that kicks in that says, well, if you were only baptized in the name of the Lord, then you missed it because you should have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but again, that's just taking one scripture and trying to make a whole doctrine around it. The the the, the majority of the scriptures talk about being baptized. In fact, all of the other scriptures except this one talk about being baptized in the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can say, I'll baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but you should be saying, I'll baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, as well, because that's his name. His name is Jesus Christ. His name is not the Son. Um, so we baptize people. We're going to touch on being baptized in the name. And I, I, I kind of deviated there slightly. All right, so we know that water baptism has nothing to do with salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, not through water baptism. All right, water baptism is a subsequent event to salvation. Um, and as I say, not everybody, not all believers experience it. And it's their own choice very often. Sometimes we dealt with it. We said sometimes it's ignorance. Nobody teaches them. You need to be baptized in water. Or they get taught it's just a symbolic thing. You can do it. You don't have to do it. It's not a real big thing. And so, you know, they, they think about it. And, they, you know, it's quite an inconvenient thing to, to go down into water. And get, so I'll, I'll, I'll just skip it. It doesn't really mean anything. So they go down that road. Um, and so, for whatever reasons, as I say, we talked about the fact that there are a lot of denominations out there. That the whole church denomination, that's their doctrine. They don't believe in water baptism. So, they, you know, whatever the Lord said about it means nothing to us. We've got our traditions. We're going to go down that road. Thank you very much. And then we saw that also water baptism has nothing to do with being baptized in the Holy Spirit. For we saw that there, uh, in the accounts of people that were filled with the Holy Spirit and then only baptized with water afterwards. And so the, the sequence of baptisms after salvation is immaterial. Uh, whichever comes first is fine. Both should be done as soon as possible after salvation. And we're touching on the one today. So, water baptism, why do we need to be baptized in water? We understand that because our Lord said do it, we do it. And we're obedient from that point of view. But is it only symbolic or is there a spiritual connotation to be baptized in water? And the answer to that question there is most definitely there is a spiritual connotation to being baptized in water. Now, baptism in water is only applicable for this life. It does not have eternal ramifications. All right. Salvation, being baptized into Christ, has eternal ramifications for I'm in Christ for the rest of eternity. Being filled with the Holy Spirit also has eternal ramifications for I'm filled with the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Although even in, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all believers uh, will have the same measure of the Holy Spirit when we go into eternity. Um, there's no teaching in, in Scripture that, that tells us any different. So... Uh, Again, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I don't really want to touch on that topic today, is also mainly for this life. But let's get back to the water baptism. Water baptism is purely for this life. It is not an etern There's no eternal ramification. So in other words, if I do not get baptized in water now in this life, it doesn't impact on my eternal uh, reward, my eternal existence at all. It has no impact at all. It has a huge impact on my life right now, that I live as a Christian, as a believer in Christ. Now, why do I say that? Well, you need to understand what man is really made up of, all right? And there's, all right, in Thessalonians, Paul says, I pray, God, keep your whole spirit, soul, and body blameless until the coming of the Lord. And so there he divides man into spirit, soul, and body. And uh, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible talks about the fact that the, the spirit and the soul can be separated by the word of God. And so man is primarily made up of these three parts, their spirit, their soul, and their body. 
Now, it is the spirit of man that is born again. It is the spirit of man that becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, all things have become new, and all things are of God. And so it is our spirit that is born again. Uh, Peter talks about it, we're begotten again. Uh, God, God the Father has begotten us once again. And so we have been born again. Um, just a, a brief interlude on that particular point. When we come into the world, each one of us, uh, God is the, the Father of spirits. Um, Book of Hebrews teaches us that he's the Father of spirits. Moses and Aaron called him the Father of, of not the Father, the God of spirits of all flesh. And so every spirit comes from God. Uh, that is where the spirit of man comes, comes from God, doesn't come from any other source. God is the Father, the creator of our spirits. And so when, when uh, we're born into the earth, for the very first time when we're born as babies, physically, I'm talking about the, when you're born as, as, as a baby, we're born into the earth and our spirits come from God. The spirit of that baby comes from God. Um, and enters into the, 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 the cells. And when that, when that spirit enters the cell for the very first time, life is generated and the cell splits for the very first time. Um, for the Bible says, without the spirit, the body is dead. And so once the spirit enters into those cells for the very first time, that's when the body begins to be formed. And uh, so, the, but the spirit comes from God. And so every child coming into the earth comes from God. The, the scripture talks in John that he gives light to every man coming into the earth. And the light that he gives us is of God. For God is the father of lights. Um, and so he imparts our spirit. He gives us our spirit. He, well, our spirit is from God. All right, so it's the spirit of man is from God. What happens is the spirit of man, we grow up and we stay spiritually alive. All children stay spiritually alive until they get to the age of 13. At the age of 13, they then do what Adam did. They commit uh, sin. And when they do, they die straight away. And so the spirit dies. So the spirit was born of God, okay, and the spirit dies. And now the spirit has to be born again. And so it is our spirits that are born again when we give our hearts to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is the part of man that is recreated. That is the new creation in Christ. That is the part that is born of incorruptible seed, the Word of God. And uh, your spirit can never sin, which is why the Holy Spirit can take up residence in our spirits. For in Him is no sin. And so the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in, a, in a, an environment where sin is. And so that is why, because your spirit, remember uh, John says it in his epistle, he said, he who is born of God cannot sin. Not that he won't sin, but he cannot sin. The spirit of man, born again, the spirit of man cannot sin. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit could reside within sin, and he can't. And so it's, it's not a case of your spirit sins, and then the Holy Spirit leaves you, you get your act together, the Holy Spirit comes back. No, he with, he's with you forever. He never leaves you. And so he never leaves you because your spirit never, ever sins ever again. And so you, you, you remain spiritually alive unto God. The reason that happens is because we're under grace. And this dispensation that the church is under, we're under grace. For Jesus revealed grace and truth. He brought grace and truth to light. Moses revealed the law. Jesus revealed grace and truth. And we stand in grace. And so our spirits stay alive. So the spirit of man is born again. The mind of man, which is the soul, the soul, the Bible talks about the soul of man and the mind of man 
interchangeably, not always, because quite often the soul refers to the whole of man. Um, in uh, Jude, I think he talks about there were eight souls that were saved, talking about Noah and those who were with him in the, in the ark. And so talking about those individuals. And so the, the scripture, when it talks about the soul, can talk about the whole, uh, the whole of man, or it can be referring to the mind of man. But so the soul and the mind, very often in New Testament scripture, and you can look at the old, are interchangeably used. You can use the mind and, and the soul is in, interchangeable. So when Paul talks about the fact that I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord, uh, when he's talking about the soul there, he's talking about the mind of man. Now, what the scripture teaches us uh, for our minds, what we have to do when we come into the kingdom of God, is we have to renew our minds. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so our minds have to be renewed. Our minds have been taught to think in one direction all the way through until we're born again. Now we come into the kingdom of God. Now we have to start thinking differently and we have to start renewing our mind. He talks, Paul talks about, again about being renewed in the, in the spirit of your mind. And so that's where a renewal takes place is in our mind. We don't get a new mind. We get a new spirit when we come into the kingdom of God. Behold, all things are new when we come in. And so it's the new spirit we get. Our minds don't, we don't lose our memory when we come into the kingdom of God. So it's not a case of I, my mind just gets, gets erased and I've got a complete blank sheet again and now I start all over again. So I've forgotten how to talk. I've forgotten who my, what my name is. I can't eat nothing. I'm, I'm back to babyhood stage. Not at all. God leaves us exactly as we are when we come in. And now he instructs us to renew our minds to the way he thinks. In Old Testament, he says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As the high as the heavens above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so a lot of Christians go down that road and say, well, you see, God's thoughts are just way above our thoughts. So, you know, we, how can we ever understand what God says? But the, in the New Testament, Scripture says, but we have the mind of Christ. And so we've been given the mind of Christ. We need to appropriate that by faith and believe it and then confess it and then act upon it. And how do we do that? We renew our minds, to think like God thinks. So we take upon our thoughts, His thoughts. And under the new covenant, He says, Behold, I make a new covenant with you. And in that covenant, in that day, I will write my laws on your, in your hearts and in your minds. It talks about putting the laws in, his, in our hearts and in our minds. And God, so God does that. God writes his, his laws on our hearts and on our minds. And He puts them in there at the same time. When does he do it? Does he just do it and then, well, we know everything? We know all the Word of God? No. As we spend time in his Word, as we meditate upon his Word, that's when the Holy Spirit begins to write his laws upon our hearts and upon our minds. And so our minds become renewed to the Word of God. So that's really what the Scripture teaches us to do with our minds, our souls. Then we get to the body. Okay, now the body is where water baptism kicks in. This is what water baptism is all about in this life. Because remember I said to you, water baptism is not an eternal event. It is only something that is applicable to the life that we live on this planet once we're born again until the time that we go to be with the Lord. So the body that we have when we come into the kingdom of God remains exactly the same as the body we had before we came into the kingdom of God. No change takes place in our physical bodies 
at all. You have so much hair on your head, that's, that's the amount of hair you, you, you have after you save, the instant after you save. There's no change to the physical body at all. Now, what you need to understand is you go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6 mainly deals with this topic, but there are other scriptures as well, Peter deals with it as well. Um, Paul got the revelation from the Lord. Because if you go, again, we won't go through the scriptures because there's just too many scriptures to touch on because I'm still just trying to bring you up to why we do water baptism. I haven't got there yet. But you need to understand this in order to get to understand the spiritual connotation for water baptism. And that is that Paul, before he was saved, he was struggling with the concept because he was a, you must ask, Paul was a good Pharisee. I mean, he was like what we would call an ultra-Orthodox Jew today, but I mean a really good one, not a hypocritical one, not somebody who, you know, just grew his beard and walked around with the, the robe and all that kind of stuff and looked the part. Paul actually did play the part. I'm talking about before he was saved, all right? He was, he was, he was sold out to God. Paul's desire, his earnest desire, was to serve God. And so he became an ultra-Orthodox Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself. All right? And he says of himself, before he saved, of the law, the righteousness of the law, he was blameless. And so Paul kept the law to that nth degree that he could actually say, as a Christian, he used to, he, when he makes a comment, he writes to the church at Philippi, and he's given them his, his, his uh, pedigree, if, if you want to say that, because what would happen was that the whole, and it was one of the problems that uh, Paul and the guys had in their day. We don't have it in the church today, but in their day, they, the Jews were trying to infiltrate the church, and the Jews were trying to say, you know, we're really the ones that, that have got the right answer. You need to become like Jews. Um, you don't get the Jews going into the churches today to try and convince the Gentiles to become like Jews. Although there are a few Gentiles that wish they were Jews, I have no idea why they want to be there. But anyway, um, but it was a major issue in Paul's day. And so what had happened was you'd had all these Jews that come into the church and they were trying to say, well, yeah, we're, we're of the stock of Abraham and what 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 and you should actually follow up to us. And so Paul is just, uh, uh, you know, filling the, the guys in. He's saying, yeah, I, I'm of the same stock. You know, I, I'm, I, I'm a, his, a, a Jew and Israelite. And he then just puts it all into perspective and he says it's actually worth nothing. It means nothing as to being whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Everything's Christ. But the point that he brings out while he's saying all of that is he says when he was a Jew and he was practicing as a Pharisee of Pharisees, he was the law of uh, the righteousness of the law. He was blameless therein because he kept it to the nth degree. All right. But he couldn't keep the law as much as he tried he couldn't keep the law there was one thing to observe the sabbath and make sure that you didn't do anything on the sabbath it was another thing entirely to not hate your enemy and the law said to love your neighbor even as yourself and so paul recognized that he was coming up short every time and he said, I, you know, I desire to do the will of God. I can see the, that the will of, will of God is right. I can see the law is good and is right. What it tells me to do is right. That I try and practice. I really want to do it. But I find that every time I try and do it, I do, end up doing the wrong thing. I end up going against it. And so he says, there's something, he found, he recognized that there's something in him that is preventing him from obeying the laws of God. 
and he, he, he cries out, what is it? And he recognizes it's his body, his flesh. He says, this body of death, this is, um, in fact, we're going to have to read it because there's, there's so much that he shares with us in that particular scripture that unless we read it, um, we might not get it today. Um, it's actually in Romans chapter 7. I've been talking about Romans chapter 6 and it's in Romans chapter 7. So let's have a look at it. Um, picking up from verse... Hmm, difficult for me to know where to pick it up from, but... Bear with me. We'll pick it up from verse 8. Uh, no, we'll pick it up from verse 7. Romans 7, 7 says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. Now, Paul's talking about himself and before he's saved. Okay, For I would not have known covetousness unless the Lord said you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's just Paul talking about what I just mentioned earlier, that all babies coming into the earth are born alive unto God. And then when they reach the age of accountability, which is 13, I don't know if people say yes, but it, some people mature earlier than others, some people mature later than others, so you can't really uh, differentiate the age. It's very easy to do that, to differentiate the age, because um, who was the most, uh, not mature, it's not the right word, but the most advanced person growing up ever? Einstein, um, any, can you think of any major scientist that was one of the, you know, this first person could go to, to Harvard University at the age of three years old, whatever, because they were just so advanced. No, there's only one person that really sets the benchmark, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he was 12 years old, in the scriptures, the Bible refers to him and calls him a young child. He was still a boy, he was still a young child in the eyes of God at the age of 12. At his 13th birthday, he became a man. And so if he's, that's the benchmark, that's the benchmark. Nobody gets, nobody's more advanced than our Lord ever was. Okay, so no matter how, how, how intellectually advanced a child might be at the age of 10, 11, even 12, they have not yet reached in God's eyes maturity, and so they are still children. So at the age of 13. So Paul says over here in verse 9, he says, I was alive once without the law. So what does he mean? Well, he was born, born into the earth, alive to God, and the law was not applicable to him when he was a young child because God didn't hold him accountable to meet the requirements of the law. God does not hold children accountable for the requirements of the law. And I, I know we're talking about the law here of Moses, but if you really want to get to the, the nuts and bolts of it, you're talking about your conscience. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to touch on that because there's a whole other subject to teach on. Anyway, he says, I was alive without the law, alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, so my time came, God said, okay, now you're accountable, Paul, for the very first time. Saul in those days, for the very first time, sin revived and I died. And so spiritually, Paul then died. Okay, so he says, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me by killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. 
Has them which is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Okay, now here we go. Verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. So he's talking about himself before he's saved. I'm carnal, law spiritual. So this is where Paul comes up against the brick wall, and he's recognizing that he's hitting a brick wall. He says, um, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. And now he says this. He says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. Okay? Um, but now it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin who dwells in me. For I know that it that in me, that is in my flesh, he qualifies, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin who dwells in me. I find then a law, Paul discovered this, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. For there is an inward man and there is an outward man. Um, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members. Talking about his physical body now. Another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So it's in his body. The law of sin is in his physical body. Um, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he recognizes he needed a savior. He couldn't do it. He tried. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was living a blameless life before in the, uh, the righteousness of the law, but he couldn't cut it. And he, he recognized that there was something that was forcing him to sin all the time. Even though his will and his conscience were, were saying, Paul, uh, Saul, you need to go down this road. And he wanted, he recognized, yes, that's where I've got to go. But he found himself going down this road and going against what the law said. And so he, he, he's frustrated. He can't understand what's going on. And then he recognizes there has to be inside these, this, this, this body that I dwell in. It is sin. There's sin dwelling inside the body. And that is what's causing me to commit the sin. Because my conscience wants to go down this road. My will says, yes, I want to go down this road. And I end up going down the wrong road. And so I need a savior. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank my Lord Jesus Christ. And so he recognizes that Jesus is uh, the one who, rede who uh, redeems us from this problem that we have. Um, and so the, what I wanted to get across to you is that it, the physical body that we have we, before we get saved is um, carries, and this is a concept that's not in the Bible, but it's, it explains it, carries the sin virus. The sin virus dwells within our physical bodies. Now, why is that? It's because the body comes from Adam. We receive our physical bodies from our 
parents, who received theirs from their parents, who received whatever, whatever, all the way down to Adam. Now, when Adam committed sin, Adam and Eve, when they committed sin, the sin virus entered into their very bloodstream, into their bodies. And the body of man comes through man. The spirit of man comes from God. And so the body of man is contaminated right from the start. Because the two cells, remember we said, that they, when, they join, when this, the two cells are joined, the spirit enters and the cells split. But the cells, the spirit is life and the spirit is holy and the spirit is, is, is from God. But the, the, the cells come from the blood from the parents. And that blood is contaminated. It has the sin virus in it. And so every physical body of man has the, the sin virus inside of it. It just, it's there because it's inherited. The Bible talks about in the book of Acts, the Lord has from one blood made every nation under the earth, on the earth, sorry, every nation of, of and every trunk, tongue and tribe. And so from Adam, every body, physical body now, I'm not talking about human being now, I'm talking about the physical body has descended from those two bodies that were on the earth. When they sinned, their, their bodies were contaminated. And they passed on that contamination all the way down the line. And so that's where the problem comes in when we come into the kingdom of God. We get new spirits. We get to renew our minds. But the body remains the same. Now inside the body is this sin virus. And this sin virus only wants to sin. It has no capacity to do anything else. The body will only commit sin. If left itself, left to its own devices, it will commit sin because that is what's inside of it. All right. So now we come to water baptism. This is the reason why we need to be baptized in water because we need to deal with this body of sin. For unless we deal with this body of sin, it will be dominating in our lives because as much as we're born again and we spend time in the word of God and we grow spiritually and we renew our minds if we do not deal with this body of sin it will be a similar problem to our lives as Christians as what Paul experienced as a, a Pharisee in that we would want to do the right thing but the body of sin will be able to dominate the Christian so how do we deal with the body of sin and you can say, okay, he's going to tell me I'll get baptized in water and that solves the problem. Yes and no. All right. When we are baptized in water, it, it does solve the problem. But what happens is that you have to, and we're going to look at the scripture now to deal with it about being baptized in water, solving the problem of the body of sin, is that you have to then apply faith to it as well. For when you're born again, you're born again by faith. So you, 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 God does the miracle of the new birth inside of us, but unless we believed it and confessed it with our mouths, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and we speak in other tongues for the very first time, that's an act of faith. We do it by faith. Everything that we do in this kingdom is by faith. The just shall live by faith. And so that is how this church age operates. We receive nothing from God except by faith. Everything that we do from the new birth all the way through until the time that we leave this planet to be with the Lord is by faith. Everything that we receive from God is by faith, including dealing with the body of sin. 
But in doing, remember James said it, show me your, your, your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so faith, and he then goes on to say, faith without works is dead. It is required of us to act on what we believe. And so now we come to water baptism and what it, what it actually means. Let's have a look at now scripture going back now to um, Romans chapter 6. And picking it up in verse 3. And Paul now is now dealing with this topic of water baptism and what it actually means and how it actually impacts on the life of the believer. And so before I get to read the scripture, let me just give you some more important background again. When we're born again, something else transpires before we're born again. The Bible talks about the fact that our old man dies. The old man is the old spirit inside of us. That is, if any man be in Christ, let's go to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 5, I think it is. If it, 2, 2 Corinthians 5. Let, um, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All right. That's talking about the spirit. So the old things that have passed away is the old spirit is passed away. All things that become new is the new spirit, the born-again spirit. And so in, 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 in the scriptures, he, um, he talks about the old man has died. And so, as I said, before we come into the kingdom of God, the moment that we're born again, the first thing that happens is the old man dies and we get new, cre new uh, created spirits. Now, when somebody dies, what do we bury? We bury the body. The spirit's not there anymore. The spirit goes. The spirit goes to be with the Lord or goes down to hell, whichever way the person was believing at the time when they left the planet. But it's the body that gets buried, not the spirit. The spirit's not there. Soul's not there either. Soul goes with the spirit. Uh, for the soul and the spirit are inseparable. It's only the word of God that can separate them as per the book of Hebrews. And so the soul and the spirit depart, but the body remains. And so the people behind are left with this body, and so they have to do something with it, and so they bury it. That's what we do with our bodies when a person dies, okay? So you need to understand that concept when it comes to water baptism, because that is really what water baptism is all about. The person has died, the old man has died, the spirit, and so we have to bury the body, for the body is still there. And so we bury the body in water baptism. But now inside, there's a new spirit. And so we raise the body and the new spirit inside is given a new body, a resurrected body. You say, but wait a minute, that doesn't mean anything to me because I haven't received my resurrected body. I'm only going to get it when the Lord returns. Yes, that's correct. But by faith, in, we have to deal with the body of sin. That's the body that we have to bury. That's the body we have to get, get rid of. It is, the, the, the body that we live in now as Christians is free from sin. Um, you say that's not true. The, 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 the virus is still there. The virus can, can still uh, be made manifest. But we have then power over, over that virus in Christ Jesus. For the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus has condemned sin in the flesh. And that is how we overcome sin in the flesh. But the very first step we have to take, and it's a step by faith, because nothing happens in this kingdom except by faith, is that we have to bury the body. We don't bury the spirit. You never bury a, a spirit of man. The spirit it, it departs. 
I only bury what's left behind, which is the body. And so when we, when we are born again, our old spirit dies and the new spirit comes. And so that is why it's so important to, to baptize the person as soon as possible after salvation. Because you're now burying the old body of sin and raising up a new body which is set free from the power of sin. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. And let's just have a look at some scripture along the line. Now we're going to get to the scripture, which is in Romans chapter 6, verse, uh, starting at verse 3. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And remember I said that when we were born again, the old man dies. And so our, we are baptized into Jesus' death. Our old man dies with Jesus. That's the baptism that of, of us being baptized into death. Now verse 4 he says, Therefore, therefore what Paul? Because you were baptized into the death of Jesus, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. So what does that mean? Well, you, you are buried with Jesus through baptism. You are buried with Jesus through baptism. Not your spirit. Your spirit's never buried. Jesus' spirit was not buried. Jesus' spirit went down into hell and was down there for three days and three nights. And then his spirit came back and entered his body and he, he had his resurrected body and he ascended to the Father. And so Jesus' body was lying there in the tomb. Jesus' body was buried in the tomb. And so our bodies are buried with Jesus through what? Through baptism, through water baptism. When we are baptized in water, we are burying the physical body. The old man has died, and now the physical body has to be buried. You've got to do something with it. You can't leave it. And so it gets buried, and then it gets raised again. And so our baptism is death burial and resurrection and so it gets raised again and can now walk in newness of life but the Christian who does never sub subject himself to water baptism has never buried the body of sin the body of sin remains and so they will never walk in the fullness that God has intended for them to walk in in this life let's carry on with the scripture Verse 4 again says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's now in this life. We should walk in newness of life. Why? Because we've been raised from the dead through baptism. We were buried. This, this physical body, this body of sin that I used to dwell in, uh, was buried. New ones come up. Now, it looks exactly the same as the old one. All right, no change. However, in the spirit, there has a, a change has taken place. Because it's by faith now, I have now power over the sin of the body. The body of sin, shall I say. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, because we have, because we've all died, our old man has died, all right, Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now that's talking about our resurrected body we will receive one day. However, in this life, we walk in newness of life, in the likeness of his resurrection. We are able to walk free of sin in this life. Uh, sin had, no more has dominion over us as, as born-again believers. 
um, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Remember, the old man has died. He's been crucified with Christ. Galatians says, um, we have, or Ephesians says, we have been crucifi crucified. Uh, he who believes has crucified the flesh. And so we've been crucified with, uh, with Christ. To what end, Paul? That the body of sin might be done away with. And we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so the body of sin is there before I get saved. After I'm saved, the body of sin remains. In order for me to do away with the body of sin, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, I bury the body of sin. And so we bury our bodies of sin in baptism, water baptism, fully immersed. They get buried and we raise them up again in newness of life. And so then we have, are no longer slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so we have to then exercise faith. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a magical thing. When we baptize in water and we come up out of the water, now there's no more sin in our bodies. No, you now have power over the sin in your bodies. The Bible says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Not talking about your resurrected body. You're talking about your mortal body that you're in now. You do not let sin reign. You... Uh, sin no longer has dominion over the believer. But the believer who's never buried the body of sin cannot claim that and will not, will not be able to, to exercise their faith to overcome sin in the body because they've never buried the body of sin. Um, let's have a look at another scripture which just reinforces this particular point for us and that's in Colossians chapter 2 uh, beginning at verse 11. And again, it's the Apostle Paul writing, because this revelation is given to, uh, to the Apostle Paul. Um, Peter gets the same revelation. He, he, he's wording slightly different, but this just, uh, Paul brings it out to us very clearly. So in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made, made without hands. So who did the circumcision made without hands? God. God does the circumcision made without hands. Because it's, if it was by hands, man would be involved. This is God. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. And so God removes the body of the sins of the flesh. How does he do that? By the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. And so when we are baptized in Christ, we're buried together with Christ. And God in the spirit realm does the circumcision of putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. So when we are raised up again out of the water, we have now put off. It's happened in the spirit. It, it transpired in the spirit. It, it, it's something that God did. And now we need to walk by faith in order to appropriate that. And we appropriate that by believing what God has done. And so I'm able to walk free from sin. It says here, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And so we walk in newness of life, the Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews. And we're able to overcome sin in this life through water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water as a believer, you will never succeed in this, in, in uh, uh, dealing with the, the, the body of sin, uh, of the flesh. You will never overcome in that area. You will always find that sin will dominate you in some form um, because you will, you, you will not have 
the, the spiritual power you need in order to overcome in this area. Why is that? Because God's not involved yet, because you have been disobedient to the Lord and that you have not yet been baptized in water. But if you have been baptized in water, then recognize that what has happened. You have buried the body of sin. You have put off the body of sin of the flesh and you've been raised in newness of life and you can now walk in newness of life and you're able to then overcome sin in the flesh. Um, and that is really the, the, the essence of what water baptism is all about from a spiritual point of view. And that's why I said it is applicable for this life because it's in this life that I have to deal with sin in the body because in eternity that's not an issue. Um, and when we, when we get our resurrected bodies, it's not an issue. But in this life, I have to deal with sin in the body. I can only deal with it by faith. Uh, I have to believe. And the scripture, there's many scriptures along the line about the fact that uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, and sin shall not have dominion over you. And he who has died has been freed from sin. And so all believers are required to walk free from sin and have the ability to walk completely free from sin. Sin is no dominion over Christians. Um, I know it's a, a doctrine that a lot of Christians struggle around, but that's in fact the, the, the teaching of the Bible. That's really what the gospel uh, is all about. It's that we, Christ died to set us free from sin. And uh, sin is not uh, something that the Christian is subject to after they're saved. But in order to start that walk, the very first step we have to take is we have to be baptized in water. We have to bury this body of sin. And, we, and by doing that, we put off the body of the sins of the flesh. We're raised up together with Christ, and we now walk in newness of life. And that is by faith. That we, we do by faith. But now God's involved because we've been obedient. Lord, I've done what you told me to do. And now I can believe, Lord, that you give me because he has condemned sin in the flesh. And so the Bible talks about how we should now walk. We walk in the spirit. We no longer walk in the flesh. Um, and how do we do that? We set our mind on the things of the spirit. And, and I don't, that's not part of today's teaching. But... Um, I think I've covered the ground as, as, as much as I can with regards to explaining the spiritual connotation to water baptism. It is not just symbolic. It's not just a case of now, and there is a, some more that we need to touch on on this subject we, because we've run out of time today, so we won't get on to uh, the, the, spirit, the, the opposition that comes through, which is spiritual as well, and we won't get on to the, the being baptized in the name of the Lord. But the fact is that Water baptism has a spiritual connotation to it. It is not just symbolic uh, of, of declaring to the world, because that is truth. Uh, we do. By being baptized in water, we declare to the world that we have now died with Christ and we've been raised up together with Him. That is true. But there is the other side to it, in that we actually are burying the body of sin. We're burying it. And we're raising it up again. And in that action, God circumcises the body of sin. And we are, that body of sin has been cut off, been put off. And we can now walk in newness of life. By faith, we do it. it does, it's not a magic formula. So it doesn't mean because I've been baptized in water, I should no longer sin anymore. No, you have to now still walk out in that by faith. And as you apply your faith to it, that's exactly where you'll go. You'll stop sinning. Um, and today, this teaching is not about uh, being set free from sin, but this is the first step that all believers take to walk in free from sin, because we're called in this life to walk free from sin. 
But believers who have never been baptized in water will never be able to walk free from sin because they have not yet buried their body of sin. And that circumcision has not taken place. And so they will always have problems with the flesh. And the flesh will continually affect their Christian world. They're saved, born again, going to go to heaven. Um, you know, they're not, they haven't lost their way from that point of view. But they will always struggle in their Christian walk. They will always battle to overcome the sin of the flesh. Why? Because they've never buried it. So when you, when you bury it, that's it. It's out of, out of your way. Now, by faith, God steps in and God empowers us to uh, walk free of sin in the flesh. And that is the requirement. That is the, the, the main reason for us to be baptized in water. Because as I said, being baptized in water is applicable for this life. And it does have the spiritual connotation to it. It is not just a, a ritual that we do. It is not just a symbolic event. And because people have thought that, they thought, well, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. I'm saved, so why do I need to be baptized in water? You know, yeah, people know I'm saved. But that's, uh, they, they, they miss out on what water baptism really does do for us. Is it is the jumping off point of dealing with the flesh of the sin. Um, flesh, the sin of the flesh, sorry, uh, the body of sin. Because until you do, and until you bury your old body of sin, you will never be able to overcome sin in the flesh as you ought to as a born-again believer. And we're going to end the teaching on that particular point today.